Welcome to In the Know. We have a special guest here with us today. We got Andrew Stevens of Sports Drink. Um, we have a lot to cover. The Pelicans have won a lot of games, lost uh, one game here uh, against the Warriors, and they're, the West is crazy as ever, so we have a lot to get down to. But first, you know the deal. We got the amazing intro we got to play. This podcast is brought to you by Birdsaw Law Firm, the official injury lawyers of Boot Crew Media, located at 918 Poitras Street by the Superdome. Give them a call at 504-523-5413. If you or someone you know has been involved in an accident, make sure to mention we sent you. Birdsaw Law Firm, the official injury lawyers of Boot Crew Media. Um, ironically, fellas, uh, I one of the kids I coach got hit by a car <laughs> while he was biking. Um on across so i coached Tulane ultimate frisbee and he's biking across claiborne um and i guess some some uber driver just like wasn't looking where he was going and um hit him everything's fine like you know like for the for the most part right he i don't think he's going to be able to play uh this season again so that sucks um but like thankfully he's not like seriously injured he can still like walk and you know nothing's broken and and, and all of that but um all that to say that I recommended Birdsall Law Firm to him. <laughs> Don't know if he actually went through, but uh, yeah, if you or someone you know has been injured, call. Love that you call him. I, I call him kids, and like, oh no, they're actually college students. You, you yeah, you're making yourself out to be more of an old man than you actually are. On that. Actually, the funniest thing is he's not even a kid. He's like our um, resident, like super senior. So he was in the military. And mm-hmm. so he served, he did his service first. And then, so he's, he's like basically my age. And so <laughs> I just had no. a bad habit of calling kids. <laughs> no one in this, no one in the city of New Orleans can say healthy. It appears just nobody wants it enough. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, nobody wants it enough. Um, joining us today, Andrew, um, fresh off of filming uh, Kevin McHale uh, for winning time in, in HBO. What's up, Andrew? How you been, man? Doing well, doing well. I'm excited to be back in New Orleans. I, uh, it, we had a, a funny thing while, while I was in LA, which was, I think, right when I left for the first time, uh, we went on that huge winning streak where we destroyed the Nuggets and uh, when BI was out and Zion was carrying us. And so there was, I think, a large part of the Pels fan base that unceremoniously welcomed me home because once I got back, we things went in the toilet. Uh, yeah, probably should not have made your way back on that one. That reminds me of... Mm-hmm. Uh, Cancun, Chris, and uh, when that, <laughs> that's, that uh, and that's, that's that was that was the same trajectory after my my daughter was born. <laughs> the Pelicans, the Pelicans were the number one seed in the conference when she was born, and then uh, the very first game I think was the New Year's Eve, the loss to Philly, and then um, things were yeah, teetered down from there. Obviously, so we're in the same trajectory there. Yeah, speaking of trajectories, the Pelicans, um, they are five of their last six. Uh, Technically, what that stat really means is they're five of their last seven, um, but they are five of their their last six. They won five in a row after a rather embarrassing loss to Houston. They seem to put together a really good stretch of basketball, um, which seemed like everyone is having fun. Now, mind you, the quality of teams they played was not very good. Um, the best team they played out of there was a Clippers team on the road, which, excuse me, in my opinion, was a really impressive win. Are we sure about it. that, though? Are we sure that was so, the best team? Because so, Charlotte, Charlotte, Hornets Charlotte, you're right, you're right, <laughs> you're right. Now that Charlotte's beaten the Mavs twice, <laughs> maybe we have to reevaluate that. And um, they and uh, the Thunder two days ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is Charlotte's a sneaky team, man, and um, I, I really do wonder what they're going to do this this summer. But you know, that being aside, uh, back to the Pelicans. The the winning on the road is tough, and and they went and won in in Portland. Uh, they went and won in uh, Los Angeles. They weren't able to pull it off against the Warriors. Um, was a was a close game until the Warriors did a very classic third quarter um, bull rush, and the Pelicans on the second out of a back to back just couldn't handle the avalanche of of threes made and and, and all of that. But um, I guess all that to say, let me ask Andrew first, and, and I'll go to Mason. Um, do you feel that this team is like truly turned a corner? Uh, and and do you feel comfortable about like okay like hey they had they put together you know five good games of basketball yeah they kind of didn't um, they didn't really like perform that well against the Warriors but there's something to build off of here and they can perhaps take this down the home stretch. So I 
I think, uh, God forbid, I'm going to try and impart a little bit of nuance, which I know is uh, often rough at the end of NBA seasons. But I, I don't think it's like a they've turned the corner. I think that the end of the season, just when you have this few games, it is about stacking the number of wins you can get. And I know it's been this way for the last two seasons with us, but stack enough wins to get into the play-in to hopefully get Zion back. And I know that like we are all just sort of bated breath waiting on this injury news, but it the team that I saw prior to in that LA game, the Rockets game before that, it was a team that like seemed so far beyond the pale that even Zion healthy or a ramped up Zion wasn't going to be able to fix. But it now seems like a team where you can plug in a guy who has played 30, 40 games this year and then potentially take somebody on in the playoffs if you can get out through these next seven or so games, get in through the play-in and then actually get to the seven or eight seed. And so I think that like, no, have they quote unquote, like this, this team as it's currently constructed, I don't think has any chance of winning a playoff series, but I do think that it is good enough to potentially get you to the seven seed. So you can then get two cracks at the play in and then give Z another three, four weeks to get back to health before hopefully a bigger series against somebody else. Now, now when you talk about that playoff series, like, do you, do you think that's with like a fully ramped up Z, like you're still not comfortable with them in, in, in a playoff series there? Oh, no, I'd be I'd be like, I, I'm an idiot. And so I genuinely think that this team could win the West if Zion is healthy. Like there's there's not like I have to it, that version of it's hard to even speak on this team right now is fully healthy because we've seen it for nine games. But even like that version of, that we were talking about pre-show with Zion or maybe it was during the show, with Zion against Denver and how he was playing on that win streak without B.I., like that is a top seven, eight player in the NBA. The way he was rotating, the way that the defense was working, the way that just he was opening up stuff for JV. Like I think that that is a team that legitimately could give anybody a run. Now, it's going to be such a limited sample size because you're going to have six or seven games. But like going and playing Denver, if we were actually fully healthy, I wouldn't write us off at all. Mason, what about you? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little bit more pessimistic just because, um, and, and this was, Stan Van Gundy talked about this in the Warriors game, is that there's a reintegration period that has to happen. And if you're trying to do that on the fly, like, I, he, let's best case scenario is he's back for the last two games of the year, right? And even that, I, I feel like they're di- tap dancing around that possibility. And so if you assume game one back is like the play-in, it's a lot, of, lot to figure out on, on the fly. And so I, I guess I'm, I, I need the team without Zion to convince me that they can do this against good defenses before I give any thought to them getting out of the plan. Because um, like that's, that's where I, I think I'm less concerned with t- taking those games on the road, which is probably irrational of me. I mean, the, the, they've, I think they've shown that if they play the right way, they can win home or away. It's just more about making sure have that. The, have you seen their road record? Oh, it's bad. But uh, but I mean, like the, even the, the David Grubb stat. But e- but even oh, uh, <laughs> but even recently, I feel like they they they've shown the ability. Like I mean that that game that that, that Clippers one was a big one. Uh, and so I think they've shown the ability. If they're playing the right way, I think I still think they can win anywhere. Um, and so, but that I still got to be convinced. I, I just don't. I don't think that I haven't seen this enough. And, and I, I guess kind of like it, there's a there's a correlation here because if the Pelicans are able to get into the play-in or or, or, or seven or eight seed, that in, should imply that they've started to figure this out against teams that actually are, are worth a shit, you know. And so if not, they're the nine or ten seed. I'm not. I, I think I think they're in trouble. So um, so so we'll yeah. See. Well, the Pelicans have started selling tickets uh, for a home play-in game, so um, they're certainly preparing for for that outcome. Yeah. Um, I, I obviously a home playing game is better than no playing game or a road playing game. And, um, you know, I, I hope it's one of those, Hey, it's the seventh seed. So it's home, no matter what outcome, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, let's talk about reintegration. I think that's kind of been a big question for a lot of folks, um, what that's going to look like with Zion. And um, I guess, let me voice my concerns with it. Cause I think you guys already touched on it a little bit and then, and I'll, I'll push it over to y'all, but you know, historically, when we've seen Zion return uh, from from a prolonged injury, there's a 
those dreaded burst minutes, right? Those <laughs> return to play protocol burst minutes. And while I think, to be fair, we haven't seen the burst minutes um, since his rookie year, um, we have seen kind of like an unspoken like minutes restriction on it. And I think that's fine. I'm okay with that. Any star coming back's going to have that, right? It will be a ramp up period. But two, you know, usually what we see from him at least is, uh, a few games to get back into like game shape as well. And so what that primarily looks like offensively is a lot of him in the post, um, maybe more turnovers than usual uh, as he's getting his wind up, as he's learning the speed of the game again. Um, and then just defensively not having the effort or energy to be the kind of like difference maker that he was during the stretch where the Pelicans were, were winning a lot. Um, so that, that's a big question for me is, is, you know, which version of Z are we, are we getting? I think conservatively we can probably pencil in, like, it's not going to be the the MVP caliber guy right away. Um, I think that'd be an unreasonable expectation on anyone's part, but how long, you know, how long is it going to take if he's only back for the play-in game? Is it even worth putting him in the starting lineup, right? And and changing everything up and trying to accommodate that. Or do you just kind of, because LeBron, like LeBron just came back from an extended absence and he came off the bench, right? Um, so how do they do that? And two, if if he is starting, then who's going to the bench? And and I guess uh, Mason, you <laughs> that little smirk there. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on, on that question? I mean, I I don't think that we can... I think the, the players off the table, obviously, are CJ and BI. I honestly think Herb Jones is off the table in Willie Green's mind. I'm not, it's, I don't think it should be off the table, but I think it will, it just given everything we've seen from Willie Green this season, Herb Jones is not leaving the starting lineup, um, you know, give, because of what he gives the Pelicans on the defensive end. So then the question is do, does he just rip the bandit off and, and go start small? Or does he do what we are expecting him to do and bench Trey Murphy? And I think. I think it's probably Trey, uh, which I don't agree with. I would honestly, given how Jonas has been used just on the whole, even though it's changed, it changed a little bit over the last few, but it, it did change materially in the last few games. I, I'm still not buying that it's a trend that's going to continue in the future. Um, and, and look, he was a bad, that was a bad matchup for him in the Warriors game. So I'm not, I'm not using that one game as evidence against that point, but I still think we got to see it more consistently against teams he does make sense for. But generally speaking, I, I think, I think I would, I would, of the options that I think are being considered for Willie, I would I would bench Jonas and just go small. Um, I, I think I, I think ultimately the best move would be bring Herb off the bench and just use because you you got to score, you got to score in the playoffs. And I think I think that's that's the move I would make. And then you can get creative with rotations from there and making sure that you're not dealing with a situation where the bench unit is a bunch of defensive guys who can't score because you got to avoid that. Jonas can help with that, but but I, I think you know um, to. Close it out. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I hope Willie decides to bench Jonas. I think he will bench Trey. Yeah, I, I, there was a good stat that we were talking about. Um, I guess it was um, Schmidt and I right on Twitter before this. But somebody, um, Ryan Bernadoni, he said teams that make more threes in their, than their opponents this season are 714 and 345, which is like almost a 60 win pace. Um, and I think that just the fact like, somebody responded to that saying that Willie prioritizes limiting opponents threes, not getting up threes of his own, which is like on this one hand, it weirdly acknowledges that the problem is you need to be creating more at three point attempts, but then you're not rectifying it on half of the, the basketball court where you can affect those things. And so like, there is this weird, like, why can't you piece the logic from the defensive side onto the offensive side? But I do think the perfect, like, microcosm or philosophy of Willie Green is going to be a guy who limits opponents threes in the starting lineup and removing the guy who can actually get up 10 or 12 a game from the starting lineup. And again, I'm not an NBA coach. We certainly have our disagreements on how to operate that. Um, but I just think that if we're, we're wondering who's going to go to the bench, it's probably going to be Trey. But I also yeah. think that to, to lead into there, that little Haynes thing, he said something along the lines of like, and how's Willie Green going to end up managing that? And I know it's sort of filler thing that you say, but it might be something that we're not privy to of like Zion coming back in bursts could be hell to try and integrate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think and I, I, the one thing I'll say in Willie Green's defense is that maybe, he probably acknowledges like we do the fact that this team doesn't have that many shooters. And so 
if you can't, if you don't have enough guys who can get up a bunch of threes and be confident in it, then yeah, I understand you want to, you, the least you want to do is limit on the other end, but don't bench the guy, the one of the few guys who can get those shots up, like you're saying. It's just, yeah, yeah, I would, I really hope he doesn't do that. To, uh, to the person who says that Willie Green prioritizes in limiting opponent threes, the Pelicans are 25th in um, opponent three-point frequency. So uh, not doing a, a great job of running people off the line, per se. And We're such uh, a good rim-protecting team, that's why. <laughs> they do actually, you know, uh, the Pelicans have been good all year at keeping players out of the paint and away from the rim. So that is their form of, of rim protection is they don't let you get there. But when you do, you know, might as well just dunk it. Uh, but So I, I think both of you are, I guess, in agreement. And, and I agree with what you're saying is Trey needs to stay in the starting lineup. I mean, I think it's something I've certainly said all year, like before the season started, Trey should be a starter. They should close with him. Um, and I think that that hasn't changed. And I think the way he's played this March, uh, where he's averaging just under 19 points a game on just very blistering shooting percentage, um, downright been one of the most efficient players uh, in the league, actually, all year, just to sport a season long, like true shooting, true shooting percentage of 65% is completely bonkers when you when you think about it for especially for a second year player. Um, and so now that Devante is gone, there really isn't a guy that is comfortable or happy taking these these threes. CJ will do it, right? And, and it's it's been kind of like part of his skill set throughout his career. Uh, he obviously very like prefers the mid-range. Brandon will have his games, but again, prefers the mid-range. There's not a guy on the team like Trey who's been comfortable or happy um, taking these threes. And not only is he comfortable and happy, he he makes them at a very, very high rate. And, and during this March, I think, Andrew, as you said, he's averaging almost 10 attempts a game and, and to take that kind of three point frequency off the court and introduce another non-shooter and, and not just a non-shooter, a guy just that doesn't shoot, right? He's the paint king and, and we don't want him shooting threes. We don't want him space in the floor, but we do want guys space in the floor for him. And um, I think it'll be a mistake, but we all kind of see where this is coming. And I think for the long-term future of this team, like Trey also needs to start, uh, like next year, <laughs> like, but you know, we don't know what the roster is going to look like, and I'm sure um, they'll they'll try to shape it in, in in a way that makes sense to them. Maybe it might not make sense to us. We'll see. TBD. Uh, but I, Mason, you brought up like just starting uh, Z at the five or Herb at the five, and I guess I'm a little bit scared to do that with Z just coming off of his injury. Um, the way he sure. has. If this was the Zion of December uh, heading into January, I would have been more for it, right? And and in fact, like I would have been like, okay, well, if you if you want to find a way to keep more defense on the court, just start Larry next to Z, right? It should just be um, CJ, Trey, Bi, Larry, and Z. Um, but hey, I I just think that at this point, you don't want to put that kind of a defensive burden on on Z. I think they're going to put him in space and. And we all know when it, what an out of shape Zion looks like defending on an island, and those those highlights end up everywhere. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't we'll think see. That's something we want to replicate. Well, we'll see. I, I guess I can I I could make the argument that Zion at the five reduces the the toll on him from a stamina perspective. I think obviously, like you need to be. It's like the opposite of the Anthony Davis situation where like AD didn't want to guard the, the play the five because he didn't want to bang with, with folks down low. If you think about Zion's specific injury, the hamstring, I I, I, I I guess I could see the benefits in him playing the five and, and not having to run around as much defensively. Um, and I, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I could see it both ways with just, just in that respect. In, in a weird way, I almost like, and again, I remember uh, Kelly Olenek relentlessly cooking a non-in-shape Zion at the beginning of the season. And so this is like, it, we, we definitely have evidence to this, but like in a weird way, I would feel more confident playing Denver and starting Z at the five, because if you're going to end up running a lot of specific pick and rolls for Jokic, having Zion start off as the Jokic defender, and then you can switch a Dyson or a Herb or somebody who can 
potentially provide a second or two of contest for a guy like Jokic, as opposed to Memphis is going to be Steven Adams, heavy high screen and roll on, mm-hmm. on jaw. And then you have Zion in space against jaw, which seems like a nightmare. And so like, I know there's not a good answer, but if those are the two matchups that you're looking at in a weird way, I would rather play Denver. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think I, Denver is certainly the less talented defensive team. So, um, and, and given the Pelican strength as uh, a paint oriented team um, and, and their lack of rim protectors and perimeter defenders, that certainly seems like a matchup um, they should prefer. But I mean, that, that would, that would mean locking in the eighth seed tentatively. Uh, I think Denver's going to run away and win, win the West here. Um, but one, have they clinched one- it yet? They no, might right? be close. One quick thing, too, about just with like, I think the way that Zion affects the game, too, is like, I mean, just the Pelicans' deficiency being like such a bad transition defensive team. Like, we've talked about this before on, on Twitter, Schmidt, just where Zion is so good on the offensive half court of slowing down the ball that like there is a weird intangible. I know it's shown in some of the sort of per hundred possessions and some of the, the metric rate stats, but like it's really hard to quantify how much he's allowed to slow your defense down to where it makes somebody else beat you in the half court. And I think that that's where sort of my irrational confidence comes in Zion is that like he just can help you bring the flow of the game back to what you want to where you can at least set your defense up and you might end up getting cooked in the half court, but it like, it gives you more of a puncher's chance to withstand these like warriors third quarter type avalanches where like quick miss shot, they're getting and going open three, even if they miss the three loonies there for a rebound and it sort of starts the system over again. Yeah. I, I've got a, it's interesting. I, I, I missed that conversation, but I, but I've, I had a, a theory when the Pelicans were just dropping all these games that like that, you know, and, or I, I, maybe it was after the Lakers game that when, as a player, if you just see, if you're like one of the guys sharing the floor with BI and CJ, if you just see them going kind of ISO after ISO possession, you just feel phased out of the offense. How motivated are you to just sprint back on defense when, when they, when they break a mid range jumper or, or even at like, and I'm not like, like I, I feel like there there mm-hmm. is a like you, you call it intangible with Zion. I think there's another like equally like intangible po- aspect of this where like you just get like the team that we saw last last year to the end of the season or even start of this year. You're, you're with, even like if Bi and CJ are making buckets, then we're winning and we're winning. Like I'm more I, I'm I'm happier to just get bust my ass and get back on defense if I feel like I could be helping the team and we're not succeeding and and fo- and people are missing shots then it's a little demotivating. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, the, the data supports that, but it's it just kind of, I, I, I'm wondering that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I have, if there's any like way to like actually quantify that, but we, we, we see it with JV, right. We've seen his engagement levels go up and now Willie Green even commented on it during his um, post game presser. And, you know, it was like, this is a guy when he's involved, will give a lot back to you. And, and I think every player, every human is, is that way. And, um, but yeah, like Z, Z is one of those players that just puts so much pressure on the rim um, that defenses have to collapse and they're already in a position to like, maybe not leak out. Right. And the other part is if he's missing, if he's missing, he's going to grab his own rebound. And he's, that's, you got to put two or three people. Otherwise that's just another opposite, a second chance opportunity for the Pelicans. And, um, which is why historically, like, I, I don't know if the stats still bear out this season. I'll have to do like some, some digging and I'm sure they do, but like a Zion layup attempt has been one of the league's best transition defenses. <laughs> Just the fact <laughs> that he can get one up and, and, and do that. Um, it's pretty, pretty nutty well, to think about. Um, well, there may let's, be... let's, sorry. Oh yeah. Sorry. No, I was sorry just my, the my, my last sort of small point is just that there was that piece of data that came out too, that was basically like, and obviously makes sense based on, how uh, open things are in transition layups and threes and whatnot, but like the offense precipitously declines each second you get further down the shot clock. And so just by a nature of making a team dribble the ball up the court for five seconds, you're going to slow down a lot of those transition opportunities. And so like that, that just plays into like the effect design can have on the offense and defensive side. No, com- completely. Um, I guess let's, let's talk about, um, Let's talk about this Warriors game for for a, a brief bit. I don't want to spend like too long on it. I think we, you know, I will say like it's not it's probably not great to like overreact based off of like one game. 
Um, in in my opinion, you know, so they they had a good first half. The second half, they they got blitzed. Um, in my opinion, even in the first half, they didn't like look very great uh, from an eye test perspective. Their their half court offense um, just looked like it was struggling to generate anything of quality. And what really allowed them to to get out to the leads they had was the Warriors being completely careless uh, with the ball. And um, so so my question to you all is like, do you think what happened, what transpired during that game um, is just one of those things where like, okay, like they're coming off a, um, a, you know, a back-to-back and this is a tough team that's really good at home. And it's just one of those things where like, okay, the, the Pels personnel, like A, didn't match up from a shooting perspective. They don't really have any shooters that they can put out there. And, and, and B, like, hey, this is when, when they met this adversity, it's like a one-off relapse. Or do you think it's more endemic of like, every time they're going to face a good team, this is just kind of like where they're going to revert back to. I guess we can go with Andrew first. Oh, okay. So, um, so I, I mean, yes. Do I sort of just based on my history as 20 years of a New Orleans sports fan, do I pencil in road losses to good teams? Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of something that I've had to get used to, but like it's, I think for that specific Warriors team, um, I think that there is a little bit of playing dead that they've done this year. I do think just like when you win four championships, I mean, Draymond's literally, he's admitted it several times. You're not going to get up for a Tuesday game in Charlotte like you are, which is I think why it's, it's fun playing in front of your crowd when they need to turn it on. I think them being able to turn it on is indicative of their home record. I think they had a long championship tour last year. And so they, went 0-12 to start the season on the road. And I think that that Warriors team, like when it's all actually said and done, is probably better than where the sixth seed stands right now, especially when Steph is playing like that. And so, like, that is it. But that's also a team, I know they're missing Wiggins, but that's a team that's a lot healthier than we are right now. And not to bring everything back to the Zion conversation, but, like, I, and maybe this is a broader conversation, maybe not so much the, the minutia of last night, but it's just it, – it's not a team that I feel like I can get all that upset for what their current form is right now. Just because, like I've said, you t- t- take away Nikola Jokic, take away LeBron James, take away Kevin Durant, take away – I guess they play on the same team now, but I was going to say Devin Booker. But, like, <laughs> you take away any of those players and you take away the best player on any of those teams and the team looks precipitously different. And I think for some reason, because of the way that the Pels played last year, we like to think that – like, oh, we are this team that's scrappy and can fight without Zion when it's like, sure, but it's like maybe a 38, 40 win team, maybe even less without him. And so it's like, I do think it is a team that is fun and capable, but not a team that has like turned the corner in any way still without Zion. Yeah. Yeah. I, on that point specifically, it is, it gets a little frustrating, right? Because like you look at, like, if you had told me that this, that the Pelicans team like minus Zion would be you know, top half of the league defensively uh, or top 10 defensively, even I would have said, wow, they, without Zion, they, they could probably win close, you know, 45, 50 games because look at all the offensive talent they've got on that team, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum and, and, and Jonas. And so it is just kind of, you know, it's, it's very hard to, to kind of calibrate everything. And I, we've, we've talked enough about coaching, I think on prior podcasts, but uh, re- re- regarding the, the Warriors game specifically, I mean, look, I would, I, I assume, you know, at least one of y'all were also at the, the 2015 Warriors game when they did game three, when they, I like, I came, I came in from, from Austin and surprised my mom for her birthday was at that game. And like the vibes were just great until they weren't right. And so I'm just, whenever we play the Warriors, like, that's just my base. Like, like you, you mentioned like going on the road, not, not beating good teams. Just when we play the Warriors, my expectation is that they're going to make a comeback. And so you know, I'm a little numb to it at this point. It wasn't a playoff game, so I guess that's cool. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I think, I think, Schmidt, you were, you were right when you called out that the offense wasn't exactly clicking. We were just, you were just generating a lot of live ball turnovers and, and, and doing well in transition. And so, look, I mean, they, they weren't up by 17 just because of that. Um, I, I think, you know, they were, they were doing a decent job of making shots, but you, you could feel like they didn't get, I, I mentioned at halftime of the game, like, Clay seemed like an afterthought. And that seemed very strange to me because if you've got Herb Jones kind of kind of sh- shadowing Curry, who's stopping Clay? I mean, he, that that's and and sure enough, I mean, he took like five threes in the third quarter or something like that. And and obviously Steph was Steph, and that was all she wrote. But um, but but yeah, it, it it felt it felt like the the lead was not 
like it didn't feel like we were up by 17 because we were just playing solid basketball. We felt like, felt like we were up by 17 because the Warriors were doing dumb stuff. It was like they picked up right where they left off in the Tim Worlds game. That was a like uh, there was a weird, very weird, strange, strange ending for the Warriors there. But but yeah, um, they. I think one thing, Shemit, you um, from that from I, I think you retweeted it today the fact that a hundred percent of Jonas's minutes were matched up with Steph Curry, like nonsensical. Like that, I mean, beyond just the fact that he wasn't having much success against Looney um, and they were just kind of going through him in the post. Like it just seemed like all of Jonas is like, well, how they use Jonas and when they used Jonas just made no sense. And and that, that was a little frustrating to me. I don't think that's why they lost this game, but it feels like they were inflicting additional pain upon themselves that they didn't have to do. I think and- if anyone wants to be a nerd and chart out JV's minutes this season and how much they've overlapped with like, the opposing star ball handler um, and map that out. Uh, one, that'd be great. I'd, I'd forever thank you, but I think you'd find it, that it's been over like 90% in most of the cases. And and so like, you know, I'm looking at guys like Luca and, and Shay and um, just guys that are just going to get him into trouble. You know that JV's not going to have um, a, a good time guarding them. Um, but the other thing is that like when, when you, when you match up, his minutes like that, what you're conversely not doing is matching up minutes in, in areas that he can take advantage of, right? Um, and, and and that comes on the offensive side too, where you, there's been frequently moments where because of the substitution patterns, he hasn't been in the game where it would be a clear advantage to have him in the game against the opposing big man. Um, so I think those are, are some of the things I'd like to see the staff clean up moving forward. And I think – They've grown in in these small areas a little bit as the years uh, the year has went on. They used to not do things such as like, hey, it's the end of a half or end of a quarter. There's you have one offensive possession left. It's a dead ball. They used to just not sub in a shooter, right? And now they've started doing that. It's like, oh, you know, we got one possession in. Let's just get Trey out there, or let's get someone else out there. Um, they used to uh, not put their bigs. Uh, the free throw line to rebound when you know an offense defensive substitution was about to happen at the end of the game and it's like no just put your three seven footers out there you know the other team's going to call a timeout immediately um if you know if you if you miss the free throw or something like that so they've gotten better i still think there's a little bit ways to go and i'm curious to see like i think we've speculated uh on this podcast um that there will be changes this summer um to the coaching staff i still believe that um, I don't know, you know, to what extent. I, I don't think Willie Green is in danger of his job, uh, contrary to, um, you know, angry people on Twitter. Um, and nor, nor do I think that that he should be. Um, mm. There's there's a couple of reasons I think his job is is right now directly tied to, to David Griffin's. And I think both of the people like their jobs. And I don't think David Griffin will get another opportunity to uh, hire uh, a, another head coach. Um, it should Willie Green not work out. And um, two, like it's. I, I just I don't I wouldn't agree with giving up on Willie Green without at least giving him healthy star players <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and you know to, to say that oh you're unable to win with an incomplete roster okay well there's just not going to be many coaches who are going to win at a high clip right um, I think I think there's a lot of mutual understanding amongst us regarding that but uh, obviously we 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 think that there's things that they, that can be better that some chains that they leave on the table and and I'm optimistic that they will get better as as he grows uh, as a coach and, and they get a better staff. Um, I think those things you'll see to start to to correct themselves. Um, Happen with uh, Lonnie. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I I think the boring answer with I'll, I'll give a point on the the Warriors game not to have too big of a coaching discussion, but like I, I think the issue with the fans are the there are five coaches in the NBA that probably positively affect your team. There's five coaches in the NBA that negatively affect your team. And it's kind of a wash for the rest of the 20. It goes based on sort of as the health of the team goes and as the talent of the team is constructed. And we have one of the guys who is sitting somewhere between six and 24. And I think that that frustrates people because it does mean that your coach can't affect the game, meaning he can't make your team better, which is frustrating, or you don't have a scapegoat necessarily for when your team's losing. And so I think that the reason we have lost or are losing is probably a multitude of about 10 or 15 factors, health, coaching, schemes, whatever. And so I think that it is frustrating when you can't necessarily point to your coach and be like, fix it, or 
we are going to fix you, fix this situation by getting you out of there. It's just, you've got to pull more levers than that. But one thing I think like specifically getting back to the JV point is that they should be able to see and improve is like, so you have a guy who is known as a mashing center. He is a guy who dominates against bad teams because young big men just have no business guarding him. I mean, even a good big man like Nick Richards or somebody like any of the Houston center, like they are getting absolutely worked on the offensive glass and in the paint or on the glass and in the paint by JV. I don't really know how they can't see. Not only will you not have him exposed as much in a pick and roll offense or having to just switch out of position when the ball is in motion with a lot of these starting units and they're good point guards and good shooters. And you're not going to maximize them as much on offense because you're typically going to have some of your better defensive centers in there or defensive power forwards that can match up against them. And so I think that like you are hurting yourself with JV on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. And those are just like little things that last night, JV was gassed at the end of the third quarter. You don't get a sub for him. They end up getting three offensive rebounds and missed wide open three, missed wide open three, Steph drains at three. It's like they're only shooting 33% from three on that possession, but it's like you only need one to end the possession. And so it's just little things like that, I think, that like our coaches, and I don't know if there's a Willie thing or who else, but it's just like it's a half step too late. Like it's a half rotation too late. It is a three minutes of Tony Snell in an elimination game type move that it's just like, I don't know where these things come from, but it is sort of like, I'm sitting on the couch. I think that's an insane move. I don't know how none of the six coaches next to you are saying that's an insane move. Uh, it's, it's interesting because um, it, it is a staff thing, right? I think like they, they delegate responsibilities out and the general shape of the rotation is delegated to an assistant coach. And I believe in this case, it's, it's um, Jerron Collins. Uh, who is uh, someone Willie hired from Golden State. Um, but I, I do think Willie on a game-to-game basis or an in-a-moment basis like can make the snap decision of this is what I want, this is who I want, and we've seen that, a.k.a. Tony Snell. Um, but <laughs> Who would be like uh, the fourth-best shooter on the Pelicans this year. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, could, they could use some Tony Snell, I guess. But um, – no, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, you, you talk about like pulling levers and I think the one area that the staff doesn't get credit for and they've consistently done is no matter who's out there, they've been able to put out good defensive lineups. And and the only time that, you know, this, this team doesn't play good defense, well, I don't say the only time, but the majority of time if they're not playing good defense is because their offense is terrible. Right. It's it's at they're at the mercy of missed shots and turnovers. And so they're constantly in transition and unable to defend in the half court. But if if those shots are going in or if there's, you know, dead ball turnovers, um, their half court defense has been good all year, regardless of the personnel, regardless of who's been in or out. Their worst on court defensive guy. Uh, I, I believe CJ holds the the rating um uh as as the worst on court defensive player for the Pelicans. Like it's like 113 or something, which would be like 11th best defense in the league. You know, if that mm-hmm. was like the team's overall, like, and, and so even their worst guys are like, Oh, the defense is pretty good when they're on the court. They're not like hemorrhaging points. Um, so that that's brings up. That's actually like, I've thought about this recently. It's like, they've drafted all these like defensive oriented players with the hope that, Oh, we got Fred Vincent. We're going to teach him how to shoot. And, you know, we can only turn, teach him how to play offense. Defense is the toughest part maybe they should change their draft philosophy, right? It certainly seems like of the players they've drafted, Trey's made more strides on defense than anybody else has made on offense. And 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 so it's like, okay, if, if you have a coach and a staff that is reliable, like able to coach up players to at least play good rotational defense, I mean, I think individual defense will always be a mixture of, of skill and, and desire. Uh, like, you know, just wanting the ball. We know some guys just want it more than others but i think the vast majority like the the like the 25th percentile and the 75th percentile like the everyone who falls in the middle of that that's uh you know bell curve they can probably be taught to play you know good schematic defense and they can fit in you know if, if you have decent personnel around them um and and maybe that's just a a way the pelicans need to go is get more offensive oriented players trust that willie green will shape them up into defensive players or they're just not going to play. <laughs> Again, I, I know the offensive talent was absurd, but the defensive rating for those Kyrie, KD, Harden, Nets was 
like a solid, not only an absurd offense, but it wasn't just outscoring people in track meets. Like it really is. If you can set your defense and you can dominate on offense, then like it isn't as hard, I think, as people say to score in the or to stop in the half court, just because when offenses slow down, all numbers point to it's just harder to score in the half court if you have five human NBA defenders there trying to like with some reason of cohesion stop you. And so like I do it because I, I was even in a, a, a discussion today with somebody about Dyson where it was like, you're, you are who you can guard in the NBA and you can't really teach the defensive instincts, but through reps and scheme and coaching, you can probably get Dyson a lot more comfortable on offense. And even four hours after that discussion, I'm wondering what you are is, well, shit, maybe do you need to take the guy who is the opposite side of the coin of Dyson offensively? And then you just figure out the defensive side of the things because you can't teach the ability that Trey does where you have a guy who is confident spacing the floor from literally 29 feet. Yeah, like, you know, Trey coming out of UVA, he was 6'9", athletic, and he was a good college defender. And, mm-hmm. and it's expected for young players to take some time to put it together, you know, defensively. But you're like, all right, he's, he's got the tools, he's athletic, so can we get him in our system and teach him how to do that? Rather than, oh, you know, we've got this toolsy player, can we get him with – our staff and all of a sudden he's a productive offensive player. And, and, and I think maybe they're figuring out that one's an easier bet than, than the other, but you know, we'll, we'll see the set. The sample is still tiny, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to them developing these players. Um, yeah. I, the interesting thing, um, Andrew Lopez just tweeted out the Pelicans have yet to file their injury report, but Denver is listing Jokic as questionable um on the report now we know if the pelicans listed someone as questionable it's just as good as listing them out but i don't know what that means for the nuggets also on their um their injury list is uh lato conchar and uh peyton watson are listed as questionable and then colin gillespie and jack white are listed as out which i don't think they've ever played against the pelicans but um conchar conchar has and and conchar was a victim of uh some nice trey murphy dunks (laughs) <laughs> when when they played in New Orleans and if Jokic is out, that's that's huge. I mean, that's potentially another JV game. Yeah, that was a. I, I mean, all I asked, sort of. So, like, must have been. It was after the Rockets' loss. I was just, I was dumb. I was like, I'm going to be irrationally confident, illogically confident about the New Orleans Pelicans now. And what it really was coming down to was, at some point, we got to have some three point shooting variance luck and some sort of injury report luck. And that was all I was looking for down because when it's like over the course of the season, these things will shake out over like seven or eight games. If you can get enough, either hot shooting from your team, cold shooting from the other team or other team resting players slap, like the Clippers will be on a back-to-back from Memphis when they play us. When we go to Minnesota for the last game, they'll be in San Antonio the night before. And so like, those are some things that like, if we can just, like pull the levers on the right matchups and the right injury reports. Like we might be able to sneak into the right part of the play-in. And again, this all just could be us losing to Dallas in the play-in, but it also like you get into the playoffs and you buy yourself two more weeks. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so I guess speaking of, of the playoffs a little bit, actually, before we get there, um, there's one thing I wanted to bring up. Um, Andrew Lopez was on a podcast with Brian Windhorst, and they're kind of talking about the Pelicans. And, and one little uh, bit of information that came out of that podcast is when the Pelicans lost at home uh, to the Lakers in, in the fashion they did, there was a little bit of a, a meeting that occurred. Um, I think you know, from what I've heard, and uh, there was not just that meeting, but one meeting that did occur um, was Willie Green meeting with uh, Larry Nance Jr., CJ McCollum, and Garrett Temple. Um, bringing back the, the, the Jim Boylan leadership council, baby, the, the adults in the room. So, uh, I really wanted to just ask y'all about what you thought about those three being the people that Willie went to, um, to just kind of like, I guess, catalyze some, some change uh, or whatnot. I, I have some, some things that I'd like, like I've heard, um, behind the scenes that I'd like to fill in at some point. Uh, but just wanted to get your, your thoughts on, on that stuff. So there are three of the, this is like, this is the quintessential Pelicans experience because there are three of the four oldest players on the team. 
who's the one that did not get included of the of the four oldest players in the team? The same guy who wasn't getting included in anything throughout the season, Jonas. J- JV, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. And so he can't get involved in the Pelicans' uh, like game plan. He can't even get involved in the players that the the elder statesman meeting. All the thirty year old, thirty plus year olds, but him are included in this meeting with with Willie. And so it's just uh, like, of course. So I, I'm I, I have no idea what like what what are the what could possibly be like the outcome of the meeting that involves those guys without like, without BI or with like any, like, I, I don't know. It's just like, I get if I, I get that you want to have a vet discussion, but like a, a, a vet discussion, that's that exclusive. I, I it, it, it includes, you know, Garrett Temple, who's the, the human victory scar of the Pelicans this year. Like, I don't know. Just strange. Uh, I got it. Like personally, I think it's a nothing burger yeah. because I, I love CJ, but I think CJ loves to inflate CJ's importance to his team, the league, his winery, his, his, every, whatever it is, CJ, I think has to be in the conversation for things. And I think that that's great because having a guy advocate for us in the media and on TV and throughout the players association is very, very necessary. But I think like, I look at this as more of a reflection upon the guys who are on the leadership council wanting to probably form that themselves. And I think that like a guy like Larry has come out and said that he's really wanted to find a home somewhere. He's moved around a lot. He's wanted a spot in a rotation. He's wanted to close games. He's wanted a good community. Garrett Temple, he's from here. He has like really, he's always connected with the state of the Louisiana. He's the oldest person on the team. He's barely, I mean, he's basically a coach. CJ, I think like, like I just said, somebody who wants to be involved came here because he felt like he could help sort of mold this team around him and that the team needed his leadership. But like, I think that this is more of like a reflection on these guys trying to take it upon themselves to provide value to the team and to provide leadership to the team. Because I think for the most part, like, LeBron is probably an exceptional case where like he is the everything. He is the alpha, the leader, the best player. I think on a lot of teams, you probably do end up with these vets who aren't like the guys where the buck stops on the court with them. Like they're not going to also be the liaisons between the coach and stuff. And so I, I like from that perspective, it doesn't really concern me all that much because I think from Zion and, and BI, it's like, Y'all are the best players on the team. Just go fucking play. Like, like, just go. Like, your job to this team is to be an all-star level player. CJ, I legitimately think his job is not just to be whatever, the 50th, 45th best player in the NBA. It's to be, to lead this team, to advocate for this team, to do all of this. And so, like, I look at it more as those guys trying to, like, I don't want to say inflate their roles, but provide value as opposed to our team being like, who do we pull and include when we really got to get stuff going here? Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Would you, I, would you say that's uh, more of a, instead of a council, it's like a, like a junta, like a leadership junta. They kind of took it. (laughs) I think so. And and the funny part is all the Willie Green detractors would be like, why do you take the players coming after you to go do all that stuff? And so it's like, I don't, I, I think it's ultimately like a lose lose situation when you have to call a players only or a leadership council type meeting. I mean, something's not going right, but like, I don't mind the, call it separation of church and state if church is the people coaching the team and state is the people actually playing in the games yeah no you 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 need that kind of delineation for sure um i don't look i I, like you said i think it's mostly a nothing burger i think it would have been um top tier content if josh richardson was also part of that (laughs) 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 but um you know maybe maybe he was maybe they just left that one out um, but no, uh, from, from what I gather is that, you know, they had that meeting and then there was like a separate players only meeting that, that occurred. And, um, in that meeting, I think Chris Haynes, uh, kind of spoke on it last night on the broadcast is Zion tried to, um, bring the team together and, and Zion's message from, from what I gather was basically like, Hey, like, it's all right. Like, let's just shake this off. Let's come together. Let's, let's take care of business we can hold down the fort like i'm i'm doing my best to get back on the court and and let's let's do that and then let's go compete for the playoffs and um i don't think it was the most well-received message 
Uh, I think guys were just like at their lowest point at the moment. And it was just, it was kind of like, well, believe it when we see it. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that's, it sucks. Cause I think it seems like Zion certainly wants to be a guy who has a voice on the team, but it's very hard to do if you're constantly sidelined, it's just, you can't talk the talk and walk the walk. But um, we've also seen that when he's healthy, how the team galvanizes around him. And, and, you know, we've, we've seen that he's a magnetic personality. It's just, very tough to hear that from someone who's been out for for that long when you've just lost like one of the most embarrassing games of your season right uh so but you know they they did have the players only meeting and um from my understanding there was some front office pressure involved uh too to to get things changed to to there was just there was like a lot of ideas on the table ideas that we've talked about in terms of like hey they should use certain guys differently they should maybe go away from this stuff and, and perhaps emphasize some other stuff. And um, there was some leader uh, front office pressure involved there too. And whatever it was, you know, they came out in that first Rockets game, they looked different. They played a little bit different, obviously didn't win, but then they, they did all the, the five game winning streak stuff. So um, that, that it seemed like there was a change that occurred uh, and, and people got on the same page. Uh I'm optimistic it'll continue a little bit into, into this Nuggets game and hopefully the Clippers game at home. Um, but going back to the leadership, Junta, uh, for a second, <laughs> um, I, I I do think that, like, for those specific – for Larry and, and CJ, I think Temple as well. Like, Temple was part of that initial sign-in trade, A, to be, like, a human salary uh, exception because he had this non-guaranteed year coming up and they can use it if they want to and to um, – to, to include as part of a trade, but B, to really be this voice. And I don't think anyone expected he would play as many minutes as he did last year, but he ended up doing so because I guess he has Willie Green's ear, as we now know. Um, and and with Larry and CJ, they were also specifically brought in to be the adults. And and I think that was how the trade was marketed, but I was also like how it was internally marketed as well. And that's kind of like the implicit agreement, like where they, okay, we brought you guys in, we're giving you this platform, we want to get Z on board, right? We want, we want, because that was that was what they were dealing with last year, right? The the whole Zion stuff, and we want we want buy in from all of our players, and and to their credit, they did that, right? They they did their job. They were rewarded with handsome extensions, um, because they did their job, and and that sort of continued. And I think the the one area where it cuts them, uh, that is Larry and CJ have a certain vision for the team, right? Their vision of the team, and. <clears throat> Like you said, Andrew, CJ likes to um, emphasize the importance of CJ. And it's, and it's CJ time, CJ. CJ, the lead guard time. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, you know, he's like, I, I, I'm not saying these are the exact conversations that happened or anything, but this is pure speculation on my part. But in my opinion, it's CJ telling Willie, like, hey, I'll, I'm your point guard, right? Like, let me be your point guard. Let me be your voice on the court. I'll do that. Let's run things this way. Oh, I'm the point guard. I feel comfortable playing with a guy like Larry, right? And Larry's like, you know, every chance he's gotten, oh, we're, we're, we could also be team 6'9". We got a bunch of switchable 6'7", six, six, 6'8", six, six, 6'9", people. We could beat Toronto. Like, and, and meanwhile, Toronto was just dog water. Like, they weren't, they weren't any good the whole year until they traded for, for Pirtle, uh, the big man. Um, but, you know, I think they had, like, a certain vision of how they wanted to play, which was like, oh, we're going to do this fun small ball stuff. We're going to be this, like – Rocket Sea, Warriors-y type team. Um, not exactly the Warriors in terms of the movement, closer to the Rockets, so we're going to be like James Harden, Iso Ball <laughs> type stuff, stuff, but switch everything. And 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 I think that put undue, had undue influence on Willie and, and the coaching staff mm-hmm. and was largely, I don't want to say like the reason why we saw the de- like deprioritizing of JV and, and some of the other stuff, but like I think was a heavy contributor in, in what we saw uh, the team, at least its offensive philosophy and its philosophy as a whole um, throughout the year. It's, I, it's you guys talking about like CJ, wanting to stress the importance of CJ. It, doesn't it make you think back to, remember when he got here, there was so much made of the, you know, CJ or Zion didn't reach out to CJ. And so it's like, how much of that is just like, maybe a little bit more ego than we initially, like it was more, more, it was at the time it was a credit, it was an indictment on Zion because like he's he's not playing and he's like not engaged with the team, right? And it's like, oh no, what's what is what's going on with him? But <laughs> given what we all we know now over the last year or so, 
Maybe, maybe, maybe CJ just has feelings hurt, man. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm I'm grateful for what CJ's done for uh, sure. In terms for of sure. like bringing a level of professionalism both publicly and privately uh, to the team. Like, there's, I think he's done way more good than than harm, and I think just. Yeah. what he was able to do in terms of like reshaping the, the, the team's image. I don't want to like credit just slowly to CJ, but in terms of like what they were able to accomplish last year, like to me, that was the price of the extension. Like that, that mm-hmm. is what you paid for. It's like, yeah. cool mm-hmm. that I'm fine because now you have a Z who's locked in for five years and, and he wants to be a part of a good team. And, and now he was a part of a good team this year and has taste tasted that. And so like, you can't put a price on that. Yeah. Um, no. But, and I but think yeah, it's- you're right. That like he got, it seems like he won't, he likes hearing his own voice. <laughs> I think we renormalize. I mean, I I have this theory in in life, but much more than just basketball. But like, I think humans are very very easy to renormalize things without necessarily realizing how quickly that they've renormalized their surroundings. And I mean, just if you take the Pelican situation now, through forty games, we have renormalized that we are a team that deserves to be in the Western Conference. And you look back now, and this is a team one year ago that we were very concerned whether Zion wanted to even be here or not. And now we're concerned whether he's the guy who should be making the guys we got to fucking fight speech in the locker room. And so it's like it's it, it sucks that both of them still occur while he's injured. But I mean, if you're going to have a guy who's disengaged while he's injured or a guy who is too engaged and the team almost is like, we'll get back healthy, I would rather have the second one. And so, like, I do think that, like, CJ has CJ has changed things. And I said this a while ago. I was like, I'm done. I'm done criticizing the guy who's asked to come here as a 2B and has been almost tasked with being a number one option for over 100 games. And so it's just like I, I can no longer get upset at a guy who has done everything that he has promised in terms of making the playoffs and bringing professionalism and trying to give an identity, but come up short on like, not being Damian Lillard, I guess, because I think that that's sort of what it would require for us to like sustain our production with the level of injuries we've had relative to CJ's health. Yeah, sure. Well said. Com- completely uh, agree on that. Um, yeah. So I thought I thought that leadership thing was was a little interesting. Um, I think we've covered a good bit. So before before we we go out, I just want to look ahead. So we we talked about Denver. We talked about after Denver, they have a four game. Uh, home stretch. It's it's the Clippers, it's Sacramento, um, Memphis. Uh, so that's a back to back, and then New York. So none of those teams, um, actually, none of these five teams, including Denver, um, are are easy. I guess six include Minnesota as well, right? All all six teams um, to to close out the season are are playoff hopefuls, playoff viables. You kind of hope that like one of Sacramento or or Memphis um, have locked in their seating by the time they play them. Um, and those games are maybe of, of, of less consequence to those teams, but obviously that's not something you can plan for. Um, there is a, a, a significant gap. So like they play um, the Clippers on, on the first and then they don't play again that's Saturday and they don't play again till Tuesday. Right. So you have Sunday um, and Monday where you're like, maybe can you get Z a practice? And, and if you're not, and since the, the Kings game is a back-to-back with Memphis, and it's, it's a home back-to-back, so maybe you're like, all right, like maybe you don't play him the Kings game. Is Memphis the game that Z mm-hmm. comes back? Um, that's where what I'm looking at. I guess how do y'all feel about this home stretch coming up? And I can start with Andrew and go to Mason. Yeah, you. I mean, you kind of hit it. I, I was anticipating, let's call it before the last update, even my most optimistic was like, all right, four games is what I always said. And then looked at the schedule and was like, okay, well, one of them is a back-to-back. So play one of the Sacramento Memphis ones and then the last two. Um, And I think at this point right now, I would be, if things continue on this trajectory, I'll call it the Chris Haynes trajectory, because I, I don't think anything he broke last night was news. I think that it like, confirmed what a lot of people thought just in terms about like had he not had another setback and was just generally progressing and so I think that like we will if I had to bet we would see that is draftkings.com slash use code boot if you're going to bet on this um so if so if I if, if I had to bet um what I would say is that we get some sort of 
ominous positive announcement that he has like done five on five work on the injury report is doubtful or questionable or had like a very positive practice in somewhere around the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sort of Kings game, whatever. And then he actually ends up playing Friday. And so I think that like, if we had to actually see it, we'll see him Friday in bursts. We'll see him against Minnesota in bursts. And then we just figure out what the play in is. That's, that is like, if, if I'm putting money on the table, we actually do, which is kind of crazy still. I know that he hasn't played a lot, but it's like, that is Zion Williamson coming back this year. I do think that there is one part of my brain where it's like, well, he's dead. He's never playing again, yada, yada, yada. But actually, like, he could legitimately be back on the court in eight or seven to nine days. Yeah, yeah just like my non-express shipping. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm less interested in speculating. I, I'm, I'm just giving up on any, any sort of, like, be able to guess at all about when Zion's coming back. I think I'm more interested in kind of picking apart the remaining games and who they're playing because this is it as always happens. This this comes down to who you get on what night. And and like both so you mentioned Schmidt, the Grizzlies and the Kings, two teams that if you take what the Grizzlies are doing for the for the Clippers game as any indication, they're it looks like they're gonna rest everybody. They're three games back of of the of the Nuggets and they're three games up on Sacramento. I I really feel like the top three C's are kind of just like, this is where we're going to be. And mm-hmm. the Kings and Grizzlies both have back-to-backs involving the Pelicans games. And so I, I think that there's so much really rides on what those teams decide to do, right? It, it's crazy. But like, I, I, if I had to bet, <laughs> again, uh, use the DraftKings promo code boot, I, I think... Degenerate I, gamblers here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we get... The Grizzlies B squad. So they play Portland the night before at home. And then they go to New Orleans. I think they'll play their guys against the team that's like, I feel like they'll want, they'll rather play a home game and play their guys at home and then sit the road back to back, even though that's like the more competitive game. I, I kind of expect that to happen. And the Pelicans get the Grizzlies B squad. The Kings are a different story. They, they go New Orleans, they go to New Orleans and they go to, to, to Dallas the very next night. I kind of believe that the Kings will play their guys against. I, I think Kings play their guys against New Orleans. They rest against the Mavericks. They play their guys against the Warriors. They rest against the Nuggets. And like that ends their season. And so like that kind of makes sense to me. So I feel like we'll get the Kings A squad and we'll get the the, the Grizzlies B squad. And I kind of like it that way. Like I, I think I think the King I think the Pelicans do well against crap defenses. And the Kings are have an incredible offense, one of the best in the league history early this year. But I, I, I like their chances against the Kings more than the Grizzlies in just a one-game situation. So you've got those two games. And then, obviously, um, you know, and, and then they end with the, 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 the Knicks at home, who they're in an interesting situation on, on their own. Like, I, I, they're, they're pretty much locked into the five seed. That's their last – I don't know. I haven't looked. What's, what's the Knicks' final schedule? After, so after they play the Pelicans, they're at home against the Pacers. I don't know. Like paces are tanking right now. Yeah. And so like, look, I, I, I really, that's going to be really interesting because on one hand it's, you don't, you don't really want to play all your starters in the last game of the season. Right. Like that's, that's, you want to kind of rest up for the playoffs, but on the other hand, like, do you really want to like end with your players playing a game on the road and then go, go home and and just sit everyone? I I don't know. So I, I, I kind of tend to expect that the Knicks do play their guys against New Orleans. And also it's Tibbs. Tibbs just likes Tibbs will probably play his guys all 82. Well, that's what I was going to say about Sacramento is I think I think they're young enough and I think they're just like running off this high of like their best season. I think they're just going to continue to try to like have the best season possible. And they're the one team that's like in the West that's been good on the road. They have a winning record on the road. So like I think Sacramento, like I would be surprised if they like seriously rested a lot of their players even to close out the, the year. I think they're just going to keep yeah. doing what they do. Um, but the Memphis one is interesting because Memphis is not a good road team, um, as well. And so maybe that's just something they want to punt. The one question I have for, for y'all is do Sacramento and, um, Memphis, do they look at new Orleans as like, okay, they could possibly end up in our bracket rather play them than the Lakers. Are teams going to do any kind of game? Or the Mavs. The Mavs, too, because that's, 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 that's the literal back-to-back. Do any yeah. kind of gamesmanship to avoid other opponents than New Orleans. 
The, I, I would say the opposite indicative on how people treat us as tune-up games to get their stars back versus their actual like road trip. Like every team's star comes back against us because it's like, well, well, I could probably or the Warriors theory of we're just going to sit everybody against New Orleans, maybe pick up a win against them, and then go start and play everybody actually against Dallas or Memphis, whoever's on our actual road trip. Right. So I don't. I don't think so. I, I think they. I think people view us as food, especially without Zion. I still. I still would. I still buy that the Kings sit one of the Dallas New Orleans games. The Kings sit there because, like, it's a back to back at the end of the season. Why would you risk it? You know. But that's. But yeah. Other than that, I think they'll play every other game out. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how the Pelicans handle this home stretch. It's going to be key for them. The Lakers have a, a road heavy stretch coming up, starting in Chicago. Five game road trip: Chicago, Minnesota, Houston, Utah. And I guess the Clippers is not really a road trip. Um, <laughs> must be sick. nice. <laughs> must be nice. Um, but yeah, that's that's is, something. Is Utah done? I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, like, go is, for do it. We, do, do you view Utah as done? Like I just, I, I, like, I think like one team is going to get left out. We think. I think they're resting players um, enough to where they're they're done. I they're think done. Danny Ainge is like, yeah, I've seen enough. The Thunder thing is weird to me. I feel like because yeah, OKC has a pretty has a really soft schedule to close out, but then Shea keeps resting. So mm-hmm. I don't. It's you know, I really thought that they had a good chance to make the play in, but I don't know if they. It, yeah, I, I guess they. I mean, they still do because they're playing a bunch of bad teams to close out. But not that the Charlotte game helped them, but still, just you know. I love how in Tankathon, if you look at the schedule, the L's are in green and the wins are in red. <laughs> it's it really is jarring right. to see. Um, yeah. Well, uh, anyways, um, this podcast was sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. So if you're ready for underdogs, upset, and unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook, the biggest tournament college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score on a no-sweat bet uh, during round one and two of the tournament, which I think is uh, over. Um, <laughs> goes to the app often hit place a no sweat bet and uh, if it doesn't hit you'll get a, a bonus bet to back up to ten dollars and um yeah i'm sad that alabama got knocked out but still you know we'll see how the the finals shake out uh download DraftKings sportsbook now and sign up with promo code boot b-o-o-t new customers get uh can bet five dollars and get two hundred dollars in bonus bets instantly win or lose only at DraftKings sportsbook with the code boot minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, Andrew, my man, thanks for joining us. Mason, likewise, it was a pleasure. Glad we were able to get on this and yep. hopefully the Pelicans bring us a lot of good news um, to talk about in the next few days. Yep. Yep. Appreciate it's you. It's going to be fun. Appreciate y'all.